Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia Audiocast. In this episode, we have part one of Double Murder by John S. Endicott. John S. Endicott, and more often J.S. Endicott, was a house name for the thrilling publications. This author is best known for writing the four Purple Scar stories in Existing Detective. Pulp historians can't agree on who wrote those four stories or if they're even written by the same author. The real author of today's story, apparently the only one to feature police detective Mortimer Tracy, seems to be lost to the ages. It was originally published in the November 1942 Thrilling Detective. Chronologically, that puts it after the first three Purple Scar adventures in 1941-42, but before the final story in 1943. It bears a superficial resemblance in subject matter to the Purple Scar stories in that it is a crime story, but Tracy is certainly no Dr. Miles Murdoch when it comes to detecting skills. This story is included in our recent collection, Thrilling Pulp Detective Tales, Volume 1. The book is available to Amazon or other bookstores or directly from us at brickpicklemedia.com books. That link is also in the show notes. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. And with that, on with the show. Double Murder by John S. Endicott. Police Detective Tracy's generosity boomerangs, and he has faced the two killings he must solve to keep his badge. Chapter 1, Bolt of a Nut. The tall man in the poorly fitting gray suit looked about cautiously before he stepped out of the doorway. Down a long vista of street lights glimmering in the twilight haze, only a few pedestrians were visible, and none of them were near except the fellow who had obviously been celebrating too enthusiastically. The tall man's knees shook just a little as he stepped out into the open of the sidewalk. He felt the strength of steel springs in his muscles, but his hands felt naked, empty, without a knife. A cold wind blew along the street, blew up the open cuffs of trousers that were a good three inches too short for him. Trousers obviously been made to fit a shorter and heavier man. Up the thin legs of the tall man blew the wind, and it seemed to blow up along his spine, and he shivered. His somber eyes watched a celebrant, not only a few steps away. The fellow was a big man with a thick bull-like neck. The tall man's fingers flexed. It would be easy, but no, that was not fast enough. People would come running. Policemen, guards, they would take him back. No. He thrust his hands into his pockets, telling himself that he must wait. He must use the cleverness that had enabled him to change, Within the few hours since his escape, his uniform suit for the suit he now wore, less conspicuous despite its poor fit. The man he had his eyes on had broad shoulders, too. He would put up a fight. Say, mister, the tall man whined, can you spare something for a man who ain't eaten in, in days? Just some change, mister. Honest, I... The other man had stopped. He stood there swaying slightly, his eyes owlish. He lifted a hand and solemnly waggled a thick finger at the supplicant. Can't fool me, he said. Can't fool Tracy. You want money, buy drinks, not eats. Drinks. You're bum. Uh uh-uh, uh, mister, that ain't it, honest. It's a good idea, drinks. Come on, I'll buy drinks. Your hat don't fit. I don't want. The tall man broke off abruptly and his eyes grew crafty. Sure, mister, that's swell, but uh, some quiet place, huh? The way I'm dressed and all. The owl-eyed man who called himself Tracy ponderously hooked an arm in the elbow of the man with the ill-fitting clothes. Sure. Quiet place. Come on, pal. We'll go see Joe. Say, that rhymes swell. Go, Joe. 
From time to time, the tall man surreptitiously pulled at the sleeves of the gray coat to make them cover more of his bony wrist, to make himself less conspicuous. He pulled two at the brim of the too tight hat, jamming it tightly down over his forehead. If it fit so badly that even this half-seize-over guy would notice, he thrust his hands back into his pockets. They felt less naked there. Gee, thanks, mister. I don't know how I can ever. Here's Joe's, said his choice companion, and piloted the tall man through a doorway into a tavern. Behind the bar was a man even bigger than the celebrant, with a head as bald as the knob of a banister post. Otherwise, the place was deserted, too early for the evening crowd. The man in the ill-fitting clothes sighed oddly with relief. No other customers. What a break. Somewhere, they would have... Hi, Tracy, said the bald barman. Third time today. Going in circles around the block? Tracy grinned. Give us a drink, Joe. Give my friend whatever he wants. Mine's same as usual. You know, Joe, you got something there about going in circles. Read a man's got one leg shorter than the other. Everybody makes you walk in circles. Like pinwheels, maybe. Or... He talked on and on. The man in the ill-fitting clothes didn't like the way Joe was looking at him. He stepped quickly in closer to the bar and sat down on a stool, his hands out of sight in his lap. That kept his wrists and ankles from the bald man's suspicious stare. But the bartender didn't keep on looking at him. He put the shot glass on the bar and lifted it from the Golden Eagle bottle and shoved it across to Tracy without a chaser. Then he looked coldly at the slender man. Well, bum? The man in the poorly fitting clothes felt relief. If he was passing for an ordinary moocher, he had cleared the first hurdle. I, a beer, I guess. But could I get something to eat first? I, uh, give him anything he wants, Joe, said Tracy. Maybe the guy is hungry. I thought he just had a thirst. Someday maybe I'll be where he is, Joe. Maybe you will. Never can tell. He picked up his glass and downed the contents. That's why I never turn a guy down, Joe, when I'm off duty. Luckily for the tall man, the bartender had been looking at Tracy, and Tracy had been looking at nothing. Neither of them saw the tall man start suddenly. Off duty, he said. Are you? Sure, pal. I'm a detective. But don't let it worry you. I got three days off, and I'm celebrating. Panhandling ain't my detail, anywho. Now, Joe, you give this here guy whatever he wants. I'm paying for it, see? Okay, Tracy, okay. I'll take care of him. Come on, bum. I'll give you some grub in the back room and leave you there to eat it. Then you scram, see? You don't look. Well, you eat and then scram. Tall man nodded and followed the bartender into the back room. There was a kitchen table there and chairs around it. The bartender put a plate of bread on the table, a smaller plate with some sliced sausage beside it. He turned toward the icebox in one corner and reconsidered. That'll do you, he said. Go ahead. Gee, thanks. That's swell. The tall man sat down at the table and reached for a slice of bread. Then he froze in that position, motionless, as the bartender turned away and went back to the front room again. He dropped the bread back on the plate and pushed the chair back quietly so it wouldn't scrape. His eyes searched the kitchen eagerly. There would be a knife somewhere, surely. Where? His breath was coming fast now with the nearest of it. The icebox? Not so likely. The cupboard? Then as he stood up, he saw the drawer of the table at which he had been sitting. His somber eyes lighted. With infinite caution, half an inch at a time, he slid the drawer open. It was there. His whole body trembled, not with fear, as he reached into the drawer and picked up the knife. His hand closed around the hilt of it, and his hand was no longer naked. Back in the bar room, the world revolved around Tracy in pink and black circles. The pink circles were the present, and the black circles were the future. 
Oh, not there was anything violently wrong about the future past tomorrow morning, but tomorrow morning he would have a hangover and it would be a dilly. Tracy knew that, though Tracy didn't drink often. This was the first celebration he'd had since, well, since years ago. Here he had a rare three days off, and because he had done all his celebrating the first day, the second and third days were going to be misery. Something was pounding at his ears, the radio back of the bar. Where was Joe? Oh, yes. He swiveled around on the stool and yelled at the kitchen door. Hey, Joe, how's about shutting off this blinking yell box? He got up off the stool to go around and shut it off himself, but decided it was too much trouble. Pretty soon, he'd better take a taxi home and go to sleep. That voice on the radio, it sounded exactly like old Cat Mullenauer, who used to handle the radio car broadcast when he, Tracy, used to be on a radio flipper. But Cat Mullenauer was dead now. The Alki gang, they thought, had rubbed him out. But they'd never proved who did it, and Cat Mullenauer had been a swell guy, too. Tracy cursed the Alki gang and then cursed the radio. He gripped the glass that held the Golden Eagle and wondered if he could throw it straight enough to put the radio out of commission. But he was a force of law and order on duty or off. He couldn't go throwing glass for around taverns. And now for the local news, went on Cat Mullenauer. Only Cat Mullenauer was dead, so it must be someone else who had a voice like Caps. Carl Lambert, the homicidal maniac who escaped late this afternoon from Bellevue Asylum, is still at large. Everyone in the city is urged to take extraordinary precautions. He has been seen or reported seen in several places, and the police are active in investigating all leads. They hope to have him in custody within a matter of hours. He's described as... Nuts, said Tracy, glad that he was off duty and not chasing him with the rest of the boys. Carl Lambert, Carl Lambert. Oh, yes, he had been arrested three, four years ago after those Blake Street killings, the nice ones with the knife. Hmm, Tracy thought. Maybe you ought to phone in and ask if there was anything to do to help in the hunt. He stood up again, but the very movement made him decide he'd better not phone headquarters. Heck, he was off duty anyway, and they could get along without him. He hoped. Chapter 2. Tracy Wakes Up The outer door opened. Tracy turned to see who had entered the saloon. He frowned. It couldn't have been anyone he wanted to see less, for it was Jerry Crail, reporter for the newspaper that habitually lambasted the force and yowled for reform. Their idea of reform being their own party in power. Crail grinned. Well, if it isn't Mortimer, Tracy, and high as a kite, how's the rest of the force? Tracy glowered at the newspaper man. It was a good thing a few drinks didn't make Tracy pugnacious, or he would have taken a poke at Crail's smug pus just for having the crust to call him Mortimer. Yes, that was the name his parents had misguidedly given him, but that was a long time ago, and he lived it down, except for the records. Listen, you... Hi, Joe, said Crail, turning his head. What have you been feeding the police force? Then his eyes lit on the bottle on the bar. Golden Eagle? Make mine the same and fill up Tracy's. The bald barbed tender went behind the bar and set another glass on it. Sure, Mr. Crail. Water wash? Not any for me, Joe, said Tracy. I wouldn't drink with that punk if... Joe grinned and filled Tracy's glass anyway. Make the drinks on me, then, so you two can bury the hatchet. In my head, said Tracy. That's where he'll bury it, with an article on... No, he won't, Tracy, said Joe. You're off duty, ain't you? So you gotta write. Sure, Tracy, affirmed Crail. I'm off duty, too, incidentally, and I'm not tarring myself with the same brush. Ah, and a very good brush it is. Now, if all tavern owners were like Joe Hammer here and didn't refill their bottles with bootleg the minute they get down past the halfway mark... There ain't any halfway mark on a whiskey bottle, said Tracy. 
But yeah, if all tavern keepers were like Joe here, then that yellow newspaper yours won't have anything to squawk about. Anyway, we've been trying to tell you. Bootleg Alki's not in the Department of the City Police. It belongs to... Sure, sure, revenue. But how about the crimes it leads to? How about the guys this Coldoni ring is bumped off because they want to play ball? Where does your department, no matter why it... Oh, go lay an egg, said Tracy. There have been three unsolved killings that might have been the Coldoni mob, but nobody can prove it. Not even the Blade Crail. And one of them was our own men. If you think we didn't try... Sure, sure. Now it's off your chest. Will you have one on me? Well, said Tracy. Special bulletin, said the radio as the jazz band came to the end of a downbeat. Carl Lambert, the escaped homicidal maniac, is reported to have been seen near 6th and Wabash half an hour ago. He wore at that time a gray suit and a hat, both of which were too small for him. Apparently he has been able to exchange the uniform which he escaped for civilian garb. Police are closing in on the district surrounding 6th and Wabash. People living here are advised to keep doors and windows locked and not to answer any... Say, said Joe, that's near here. Something seemed to explode inside Tracy's head. Good tripe, he said. That guy I brought in. He and Joe looked at each other. What guy? Crail wanted to know. Got your gun, Tracy? Joe asked. Tracy shook his head, already sliding off the stool and wishing he had just one drink glass. Joe yanked the drawer open somewhere behind the bar and came out with a short-barreled heavy revolver in his hand and a scowl on his face. He and Tracy made for the door to the back room almost abreast. The door was ajar, but from the bar room all that could be seen was a table. Hey, called the reporter. What's goes on? Let me in on... That was when they heard the scream. It came from somewhere quite a distance away, but it was a piercing feminine streak that cut the air like a knife. Hung for an instant in a high E, then choked off abruptly. The kitchen was empty. The door at the back of it leading to the quarters behind the tavern stood open. Good gosh, said Joe. I thought that was locked. Tracy, now in the lead, plowed on through into the rooms beyond. There were two of them, and they were empty. The door at the back of the second room leading to a small cement paved yard stood wide open. Joe caught up the headquarters detective and grabbed his arm as they reached the yard. Take it easy, guy. You ain't got a gun, and this ain't no picnic. If that was the nut, well, there were knives in that room. Sure, said Tracy. A knife, of course. That was the guy I was after. That was why he'd wanted to eat instead of drink. He wouldn't be hungry yet if he had escaped only late in the afternoon. Not hungry enough, anyway, to risk bumming a meal. Lord, what a sap I was, Tracy groaned. There was a light half a block down the alley, a pale yellow spot in the gray dusk. Two houses down the alley toward the light lay the sprawled bodies of two men. Each lay in the center of a dark, sticky pool that almost seemed to be still spreading. Tracy got almost to them and grabbed the top of a fence to hold on to. He felt sick, physically and mentally. He heard Crail's voice behind him. Where's the woman who screamed? There'll be another body in a yard or a house or... Shut up, said Tracy. He didn't want to think about that possibility. Joe, go phone the station. I'll look. Hey, gimme! He grabbed the revolver out of the tavern keeper's hand and started running up the alley toward the light, around and past the corpses of the men. Up there at the other end of the alley, past the yellow light, he had caught sight of a moving figure. The sheer forward momentum of Tracy's pistoning legs kept him erect for a while. Then the curb on the left came too close and got under Tracy's feet and tripped him. The corner of a garage came straight for his face. It was like a slow motion dream of flying. He tried to throw up a hand to ward it off, but the corner post of the garage came fast and his hand could move. It got larger and larger until it filled his whole field of vision his hand had hardly moved yet. Then a red flash in the blackness. The nurse looked down and saw that Tracy's eyes were open between the bandage across his forehead and the thicker bandage across his nose. A Captain Burton wants to see you, Mr. Tracy. Do you feel well enough to see him? Ah. It was hardly a courteous affirmative, nor even a courteous negative for that matter. 
Lurps was a good-looking one, too, with bright red hair and a smile. From the smile, Tracy decided she didn't know anything about him or who he was. He'd had his eyes open for half an hour now, and they were just beginning to focus properly. His head felt as if it had been used as a concrete mixer, and his mouth felt like the inside of a sewer after a long, dry spell. He didn't want to see anybody. He didn't want his own company. In fact, he particularly did not want himself around. There didn't seem to be anything he could do about that. I beg your pardon? said the nurse brightly. Uh said Tracy. Ah, oh, send him in. Might as well get it over with. He tried to turn his head and wished he had it. Hey, w- wait a minute. First tell me what's wrong with me. But the nurse had already left. While he waited, Tracy experimentally flexed his arms a bit, then his legs. Nothing seemed to hurt as long as he didn't move his head. He ran cautiously, exploring hands along his ribs, and they seemed to be intact. Then gently he raised his hands to his face. Most of it was covered with bandages. His chin stuck out the bottom and seemed to work all right on his hinges, but there wasn't any doubt about his nose being broken. There was plaster under the bandage across it. As far as he could tell with his tongue, all his teeth seemed to be there. Footsteps beside the bed made him look up. Big, red-faced Captain Burton stood there looking down at him. His eyes didn't look any too friendly. The conquering hero, he said. Hi, Cap. Yeah, I guess... I guess I did pull a boner all right, but I hadn't seen a paper or anything, so I didn't know there was a homie on the... Say, get him yet? Not a smell of him. Tracy groaned. How many so far? Just the two. He must be holed up somewhere till it cools down. Just two, Cap? How about the woman who screamed? Didn't she... Nope. Turned out she didn't see Lambert. She screamed when she came across the bodies, taking a shortcut home from the store through the alley. She ran on in the building and up to her flat. Ah, uh, who were the guys? One wasn't much lost. Buck Miller used to be a Coldoni mobster. You remember him, I guess. Other chap, his name was Randall. Was a grocer at a store there. Buck Miller? Said Tracy wonderingly. What was he doing there? The captain looked irritated. What's it matter? It's a public alley. There are a couple of taverns there with back entrances on it. Did you check them yet? No, why should we? What do we care about what he's doing in the alley? I don't know. Guess I'm still going in circles. What's wrong with him besides a broken smeller? Bruises and contusions, said Burton. And a suspension. Hey, I wasn't on duty, Cap. On my own time, I got a right to... Well, anyway, I don't drink anything often, do I? I could name a few of the boys who do a lot oftener than I... So could I. But they don't buy drinks for homicidal maniacs on the loose. But how'd I know? Ah, skip it. How long's the suspension? There'll be a hearing before the board tomorrow morning at 10. You ought to be out of here by then. If not, we give you a postponement. Okay, okay. Say, hearing's usually pretty serious stuff, isn't it? It usually is. I have a punch. This one won't be an exception, Tracy. Well, I gotta go now. Don't worry about it. Until you read the papers. Tracy lay there staring at the ceiling after Burton had left. Finally, he reached over and got a cord with a buzzer button on the end of it. He pushed the button and nothing happened. About half a minute, he pushed it again. And when nothing continued to happen, he held the door button down steadily until the nurse appeared in the doorway. Yes, Mr. Tracy? Will you get me a paper this morning's blade? Just a minute. There will be one in the waiting room unless someone's thrown it away already. The evening papers will be out soon. Won't you just as soon wait until... Uh Uh-uh. It's the blade I want to see in particular. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. And just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. We'll be back with a new episode next week.